Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. In honor of Corey complaining about how long our Bible studies are, we're going to read an entire book of the New Testament. We are reading Philemon. We're going to read Philemon, which is only one chapter long. Yes, we're going to read the book of Philemon, so you can go ahead and open to Philemon. It's only one chapter in the whole book. Of course, these books were letters written by Paul, so the book of Philemon was actually a letter written by Paul to Philemon, in which he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to the church in thy house. So this was Paul and Timothy writing to Philemon and these other members probably of his family and to the church which was in their house. So they had a, a house church. So these were either host leaders or pastors in a, a house church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. Hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast towards the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. So in this, we're kind of getting a picture from Paul of the type of character that Philemon has. He's got love for the Lord. He shows love towards the saints. That the communication of thy faith may be effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now, I love how Paul approaches these things. He always starts off, talking real nice and real good and pointing out all that's good and right and then he comes with the the hard truth and he's like now he, he very politely and kindly but firmly inserts the truth of what needs to be done but he's addressing this person and letting him know you are looked well upon you love the lord you love the saints now i'm writing this to you i'm communicating with you so that when you communicate, when you preach, when you teach, it can be effectual. In other words, this is going to affect your testimony. How you treat others and how you treat those of your own household and how you treat your family, saved or unsaved, and how you treat even those who do right or wrong to you will affect your testimony. How people see you acting in those circumstances will affect whether or not they receive the gospel from you. And that's what Paul is pointing out to him. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. You know, we, we have encouragement. You show love and you refresh others. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such a one as Paul the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. So he tells him all of these good things and he's saying, though it would be convenient for me to continue to say all of these good things, because I love you, I'm also gonna have to give you some straightforward truth. I'm aged, I have wisdom, I'm a prisoner for the Lord, I don't have anything to lose, he was in jail at this time. So he says, I love you and I'm gonna speak the truth to you. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus, whom I begot in my bonds. All right. So this was not physically his son. This was a spiritual son. He was ministering, and Onesimus got saved. 
So when he says, I begot him, he's, he was considering him a spiritual son, somebody who was lost that got saved under him. And now he's writing the former master of this person because he was a servant under him. We can't say for sure owner because we're not sure if it was a slave or a servant, but regardless, he was a superior and an authority over him and he lived in his house. So Paul is writing on his behalf to him which in time past was to the unprofitable, but now profitable to both thee and to me. So in the past, this person was of no use, basically. They were unprofitable. They were a problem. But now he's saying he has value, not only to you, but also to me. He's gotten saved. He's learning from me. He's doing what's right. He's helping me. But I'm writing to you on his behalf, whom I have sent again, Thou, therefore, receive him, that is, mine own bowels. So he's saying he, he left you, he ran away, I'm sending him back to you because that's the right thing to do, he's going to make it right, he wants to do what's right. When you receive him, you receive him as though you're receiving my own son. He might have done you wrong, he might have hurt you, but this is not coming back to you as somebody who who did wrong to you. He's coming back to you as my son. Treat him as such. Whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me. Minister means to serve in the bonds of the gospel. So Paul's saying that, you know, if I would really rather him stay with me, but it's the right thing to do to send him back to you. But without thy mind, would I do nothing? In other words, unless you would say that you want him to do that, you'd have to give permission for that. That thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. Um, this is where the biblical precedence comes from, where some pastors uh, won't receive someone from another ministry to help their ministry unless they get a letter of uh, agreement from their pastor. Like I know Nathan Morris does that. Before you can go and join him on one of his crusades, you have to get a letter from your own pastor endorsing them going and letting know that their church is okay and that they're not stealing somebody from their church to go. Uh, some ministers don't do that, but some do. And there is a precedence. That's basically what Paul was doing. He was saying, look, he helps me in the gospel. He helps me in what I'm doing. I would love for him to stay with me, but I would never have him do that unless you chose to have him do that. So I'm sending him back to you for you to make your decision. But like I know anytime we do something and I invite Carrie or Josh to participate, I always talk to Pastor Lester first and let him know what we're doing and ask him if it's okay for his people to come and help us with something because it's, it's courtesy, it's respect, and it, it's the right thing to do because you're not trying to, you know, proselyte or even cause offense unnecessarily. You know, it's a family. And that's what tonight's lesson is about, is about family. And churches are supposed to be families. And... I don't take JC and McKaylee to the house unless I check with their parents first. I check with the family. So, um, you know, we do that even with ministries if it's truly a family. Now, you know, some ministries are run like businesses and they swap employees like nothing. But, you know, there, there is a courtesy in checking with uh, the other just to let them know that there's nothing nefarious going on. And that's what Paul was doing. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever. Now, um, to give you a little bit of backstory, the consensus of what most likely happened in this story going by what's in there is that Onesimus was most likely a servant 
to Philemon, who stole from him and then ran away because he didn't want to face the judgment for stealing. And you'll see why because of the things Paul says. So when Paul says, hey, he got saved, he's been under me, I consider him a son, I would like him to stay with me, but I'm sending him back to you to make things right. Receive him as though you're receiving my son. Now he's telling him, look, maybe what happened, even though it was bad, was for a purpose. Maybe God used it to help to deliver and save him. Maybe his running away and everything that happened was in order to bring him to a place of eternal salvation. So don't just look at the temporary situation, but look more at the eternal condition and try to see the good in it. He says, perhaps he therefore departed for a season that thou should receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me. But how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now, he could have been family because it says both in the flesh and in the Lord. But regardless, whatever happened, there was some uh, contention between these two. And he was trying to come back into the family. Paul was sending him back in. This is a story of redemption. We continue on. He says, if thou count me, therefore, a partner, receive him as myself. Now, I want you to see through this whole scenario. This is a, this is a historical event. This isn't just a parable. This really happened. But in it, we see a parallel of Paul literally acting like Christ. The servant is like us. He was in sin. He did wrong. He was guilty. He left. He ran away. In our example, he finds Christ. He finds the truth. Paul sends him back and says, when you receive him, you're not receiving him as a slave or as who he was. You're receiving him as me. And if there's anything that he owes you, I'll take the debt for it. I'll pay the price for it. He says, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, put that on my account. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand. I will repay it. Albeit, I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me, even thine own self besides. So basically, most likely, Paul was the one that led him to the Lord. Or something had happened where Paul could say that, you, you know, you owe your own life to me as well. And I never made you pay the debt. But I will pay the debt for him if necessary. Paul was saying, I am being like Christ. And I'm giving you the opportunity to be like Christ too. And this is a, a, a character that we should all have in dealing with the lost. And I think it's easier dealing with far off lost people, people you haven't encountered, than with those in the family, either your physical family or a church family, because the hurt is personal. You know the wrong. You know, it's kind of the Nineveh situation where Jonah didn't want to go help save the Ninevites because they were their enemies. They were, they were the enemy next door. He knew how wicked they were. He didn't have a heart for them. Sometimes we do that with people that have wronged us personally or with family because we know who they are. And it's hard to see past who they were, that servant, that bondman to sin, to the brother that they are now being given the chance to be if we'll help them. I, Paul, have written it with my own hand, and I will repay it, albeit I do not say unto thee how thou owest unto me even thine own life besides. Yea, brethren, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. 
And having confidence in thy obedience, I write unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do even more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. So he tells him all of this and then says, now pray for me to be released and be sent to you because I'm coming. In other words, daddy's coming check. The kids better get along or daddy's coming check. Well, that's a word for the church at large all over the world because daddy is coming check. And I feel that in the spirit right now, the word that he had given me was about the family and his heart to refocus each church individually and the body as a whole to fight for the family. I think sometimes we get so caught up in fighting for the lost, and we should, that's a good thing, but sometimes we do it even at the expense of the family. You know, we, we covet the gifts and we're supposed to, but sometimes the keeping the gift or keeping the anointing becomes more important than keeping the family when the gift and the anointing was given for the protection and the service of the family in the first place. You can't put the uh, cart before the horse. This story, this encounter is about redemption. We understand that Jesus is our redeemer. We understand that redemption is a very Old Testament concept. In the Old Testament cultures, there was a patriarchal uh, setup where you had a father and a dwelling place and a whole family that lived together. And every time a new son was born or whatever, and they you know, had a new wife, a new member of the family, they would just build an extra room onto the house. That's why Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions or many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. He was talking about the old patriarchal system. So everybody lived in one big dwelling, and they just added on rooms when somebody got married, and it would, they would be part of the family. And they all worked together, and they had a trade of whatever their, their family trade was. Well, in that system, all of the resources went to the patriarch or the father, and he would determine how it was used, who needed what to get the job done to make sure everybody was taken care of. And if somebody was lost from the family, if somebody was stolen away by the enemy, if somebody went, sold themselves into slavery or did something stupid, it was his job to take all the resources of family and do whatever he had to do to go and redeem them, get them back and bring them back into the family. There came a point at which uh, that father would uh, pass that hierarchical covering to the eldest son. And then the eldest son would become the patriarch and would do the same thing. But it was still the rest of the family's job to help him in the work of redemption. But it was important to redeem back into the family. You had to keep everyone in the family. So when the Bible says that Jesus is our redeemer, that's what it means. That means that God took all of the resources of heaven and did what he had to do to redeem us, to bring us back into the family. And it's our job to do the same for those around us. For the lost, yes, but especially those who have been part of and have been lost. The straying, those that have gone away. It's why Abraham had to go get Lot. That's, that's exactly They were under obligation to do that. Now, remember that when the time came the father would pass that mantle to the eldest son. So when the fullness of time had come and Jesus took on the mantle that he did, the people of that culture would have understood that he was taking on the patriarch role of the family and that he would be the redeemer. It would be his job to go and redeem the lost children. But as his brothers and sisters, it's our job to help him.
also. So Galatians 6, verse 1 through 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overcome in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we are commanded, this is a New Testament commandment, we are commanded to try our best to do whatever we can to restore those who have fallen, to bring them back into right standing, to do it with meekness and to consider ourselves. In other words, if you start thinking that you're so high and mighty because they fell and you did it, then chances are God's going to allow you to fall in order to humble you. And I've seen it happen so many times. Every time I hear somebody say, you know, oh, I can't fall or, I, you know, I, I passed this test. I know the enemy can't get me now. I'm like, uh-oh, give it about a week. The lesson comes quick. But God does it out of mercy because he's humbling. It keeps you having a heart of compassion because we all need each other to pick each other back up. That's the function of a family. In a family, you never stop fighting for each other. I find it interesting that it says that he commands us to try to restore one another, to bring them back into right standing, and to bear one another's burdens, and that if we do this, we will fulfill the law of Christ. So for those who tell you, oh, we're New Testament, we're not under the law, there's a new law. First of all, if you're still in sin, you are under the old law. But if you are washed in the blood and redeemed from it, then you're under the new law, the law of Christ. So go to John 13, 33, and we'll see what the law of Christ is. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, Jesus was talking to his disciples. You shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whether I go, you cannot come. For now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. So we are commanded to fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians and in John, we are told that we are given a new commandment. Now, there was a commandment given from the beginning, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy mind, thy strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus gave us as the new law was that he said all the same things, except he said you will love your neighbor as I have loved you. You will love your brother as I have loved you, which means not the same way you love yourself. You will love them more than yourself. You will love them sacrificially. Jesus loved us more than he loved himself. He loved us sacrificially. And that's the new commandment that we're given. It's actually more than the old commandment. So it's not just do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's do unto others things you would never even do for yourself. When you never spending any money, but you're willing to go buy something for somebody else. You know, when, when you have a heart that looks at the needs of others and not at your own needs. When you are sacrificial in your love and in your giving and in your tending and in your caring. Paul was fulfilling the new commandment, the law of Christ, by loving Onesimus like Christ does, even taking the penalty for his wrong upon himself and offering to pay his debt while instructing Philemon to do the same. We teach our children in the spirit, our spiritual children, 
by both our words and our actions. We have to lead by example, like any good parent. So rather you're a pastor or a layman or anything in between, you will lead men. You will have spiritual children. Somebody's going to look up to you. Somebody's going to follow your lead. Paul was leading Philemon and his congregation, not just in word. He was teaching them. He was instructing them with the letter. But he was also doing it in action by telling them, look, I'm coming, and if I need to, I'll pay his debt. He was showing them the right way to be. And that's how we're supposed to lead and to teach our spiritual children and our physical ones also because that's what good parents do. Gifts and anointings are given to tend to the needs of the family. But sometimes we neglect and reject the family to safeguard the gift and end up losing all of it. Gifts and anointings are given to do the work of redemption. The family isn't always perfect. Seek the fruits of the Spirit above even the miraculous and use them to restore those who have fallen and the gifts and the anointings will flow by proxy as the Lord releases what is needed to do the work of redeeming the family. We work hard to witness to the lost, to seem perfect to the world, to try to bring the foreigners, spiritually speaking, in, which isn't wrong, but we often neglect and even reject the family in the process, the ones that have come but fallen, the ones that God has called us to work with, the ones close that have wronged us, like Onesimus was to Philemon. Our greatest expression of our efforts to be like Jesus ought to be demonstrated in our eagerness to forgive those who have hurt us, to fight and to pray for them, to sacrifice, to save and restore them, and to see the lost and deceived family of God brought back to him again. Pull up Luke 15, verse 3. And he spake, Jesus, this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not he leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which was lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he lay it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. I felt like God gave me this word early this morning. I do believe the Lord wants us to fight for the family in prayer and intercession and to try to bring the lost ones in. But when he gave me the word, I felt in my spirit that right now God is testing and watching to see how we handle our own families and our church families to see who he can trust with his family. Um, and I believe that when Jacob sent that video into the group me, it was confirmation to this message. God is looking for those who are forgiving, loving, diligent, truthful, patient, and willing to fight for the redemption of the lost and deceived among their own family and church body. That's the ones that he will be using to bring the Jews back into the family of God in the coming days leading up 
to the return of the Messiah. Remember, the Bible says very plainly and clearly that Christ will not return until the Jews recognize him as their king, their Lord, and their Messiah. It will happen. And we know that we're fast approaching the return of Christ. Those days are coming. Therefore, that event is coming. And God is setting up right now the men and women that he's going to use. He's choosing. His eyes are searching the land. Who is he going to use in that great end-time revival? How is he going to lead the lost children back in? He's looking to see, are we doing the work of redemption in our own families and in our own church families? Are we willing because if we, he can't trust us with our own families, he definitely won't trust us with his. So be like Paul, be like Jesus, be willing to lead, teach, and even take abuse if need be, that one might be saved and restored to the Lord before it's too late to be made a brother and sister in Christ. We're going to close with Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past were Gentiles in the flesh. Gentiles means someone who's not a Jew, speaking to us, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the flesh made by hands. So he's talking about Jews and Gentiles here. Jews were part of the family of God, Gentiles were not. That at that time you were without Christ, the Messiah being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So all of the blessings that we have are things that we inherited from the promises that God gave to Abraham. All of the promises were to Abraham and to uh, his seed and his descendants. We have access to heaven and New Jerusalem and all of these great promises because we're grafted in. We've been given that access because we've been adopted in to the family of God. We've been given the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers from the covenant of promises we were, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, talking about the Jew and the Gentile, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of the two one new man, so making peace. In other words, he, he annihilated the difference between the two so that they could be brought into the same family through his flesh. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. So he preached both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. The same opportunity was given to both. For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God. This is how we all get brought into the family and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. All of that being said, Paul was telling the Ephesians, 
that there were two different families, the Jews and the Gentiles. But Jesus took our sin. He took the body of sin, that old serpent that was represented in the time of Egypt as the snake being lifted up on the pole. Jesus made the correlation saying that in the same manner, if you had faith in him when he's lifted up, you would be delivered. And that might kind of give you a check in your spirit and say, why is he comparing himself to a snake? It's not himself. It's the sin. It's the spirit that was causing the sin that he took upon himself and crucified and nailed it to the cross. That's what he put to death in his flesh, that we might be able to be one family again, that we might be able to receive his spirit, be cleansed by his blood, and be part of the family of God, because God says very clearly that those who are led of my spirit, they are the sons and daughters of God. Jesus says in another uh, example, another scripture, he says that those who do the will of the Father, they are my brothers and sisters and mothers, in other words, their family. We are able to obey God and to follow his spirit because Jesus' blood cleanses us that we might receive his spirit and then be empowered to follow the leading of it. That is very important. But having been given that opportunity, we then have to use the gifts that that spirit gives us to do the work of redemption to fight for the family. And that has to always be our primary focus. So Lord, we thank you for this reminder tonight. And we do pray for the family. Lord, we lift them all up before you right now and we take authority against every demonic spirit, against every work of Satan, against the spirit of Egypt, against that spirit of bondage that has come against the children of God that has led away the sheep of the fold of the flock of the family of God that has come against our own loved ones in the name of Jesus. We command you to release them, to flee, to depart, to be cast into the sea of forgetfulness this night, and we claim victory in this fight. Lord, everyone in their heart lifting up those that they know, we all come into agreement for the salvation of their souls in the name of Jesus. And we ask that you bring them back into the kingdom. We fight for them in the spirit, and we command the bondage to be broken off of them right now. Every heart is lifting up names right now, Lord, and we all agree. We all stand in unity and we fight for them and we pray and believe by the power of the Holy Ghost that they will be set free and delivered. They will be brought back into the kingdom. It is your will to redeem them. And Lord, we ask, you say that if we will ask anything according to your will, you hear us. So whatever resources are necessary, by whatever means necessary, protect their life, but save their soul in the name of Jesus Christ. And we give you praise right now for the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I'm so glad I didn't stop it before you said it. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.